0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of AV Insider. As always, I'm your host, Johnny Mota. I'm the host of the show that can be found at RavePubs.com under the Rave Radio tab. There are plenty of other shows there you probably listen to, and if you don't, you should probably check them out. They are some good friends of mine in the industry, and they have a wealth of knowledge that I'm not providing here. Maybe you should go check them out. RavePubs.com under the Rave Radio tab. Uh, you know me, show's not about me, it's about the guests. Today, I have the CEO-slash-CTO combo action of Aurora Multimedia, Paul Harris. Paul, good morning, uh, good afternoon, depending where you are. Hey, thanks for taking the time today.
1: Uh, thank you for having me.
0: Um, I'm excited, man. I, I love talking technology. I love talking about... Um, Basically, this industry coming from the industry, I, I don't like sort of, uh, I don't like speculating. I'd rather just get the info straight from the source. And so, here you are. Um, I, before we kind of get into the, the overview of Aurora Multimedia, can you tell me a little bit about your past? Maybe this is your first job, first company, and if so, success. And if not, I'd, le- I'd, love, to, uh, I'd love to learn more, a little bit about your background, how you got into the, the industry that we're talking about.
1: Uh, actually, it's not my first company. My first company when I was about, uh, I think it was about when I was 16, 17 years old. I, was, uh, I had a company that I started called Digitrans, okay. uh, for digital transformation. It was one uh, of those uh, t-shirts that you used to, uh, yeah, back in the day, uh, so I'll date myself, this is over 30 years ago. And uh, when you get like all those dots that make up a picture of a person that you put on a t-shirt at the fairs. Well, I came up with a way with the Amiga computer since it did 4,096 colors, because, you know, God forbid that was a business computer, because it didn't do green and black or 16 colors. It was a, deemed back then a gaming computer, because it did a lot of colors and a lot of animation. Funny the irony of how things work out. But yeah. um, the, uh, but back then, uh, it had a lot of capabilities. Then I took a, a toaster card, which was a capture card. JVC camera, a Xerox inkjet printer with subliminal dye ink, uh, thermal transfer paper. Next thing you know, I had going to carnivals and events doing um, uh, pictures in 4096 calls on t-shirts. Then about two years later, I realized I kind of killed the novelty of having dots on a t-shirt. So uh, (laughs) I sold it and uh, went to college. Uh, so I had other things to do, like uh, get my final education before I went into the business world and uh, an and engineering world. So, uh, but yeah, that was probably my uh, the, the first official business I had. Uh, and then I had a company called Zytech that uh, I started to uh, make uh, audio paging supervision okay. for um, for 70 volt paging speakers. I did it for Lockheed Martin and Lucent Technologies, and then eventually I merged Zytec into Aurora. There were originally was we started as a programming company for control systems, uh, you know, as, as a third party provider to uh, deliver. And we were actually doing very well at that. And uh, eventually we started making products that complemented. And uh, let's just say things have a funny way of working out. And we eventually became competitive with uh, certain companies. So, uh, and then here we are, like everybody else, making a little bit of everything for everybody.
0: Cool. Very cool. So here we are today. You're the CEO, CTO of Aurora Multimedia. Tell me a little bit about what exactly Aurora Multimedia does and offers for the AV and technology industry.
1: So um, one of the thing,s when we started, the, the whole point of us was to be different than everybody else, but somewhat mainstream. Um, for me, at least, it's a true belief that if you're going to do something in the industry, you've got to make it different, make it interesting. That's what makes company special when you're out there. Uh, If you just simply do what everybody else does, industry becomes complacent and it becomes another me-too product. So I'm not a big fan of me-too products. So if you're going to do something as a company, make it different, make it interesting, create that competition that makes everybody want to do more and that makes a better industry overall. Um, So we we got started way back uh, with doing uh, IP control back when it was just very infantile mostly proprietary uh and we created the world's first uh, non-proprietary control system making it scripting based rather than compiler based and that was over whew, probably well over 15 years ago when we started that wow. um and, and we continue to do it and then we got more into uh doing a lot of people members out there actually uh, or don't make the association necessarily that we did uh the cards for uh, Pioneer Plasmas, the famous uh, TVP 1000 card and the A303, A304 card that you would put into a Pioneer Plasma. So we actually made uh, Plasmas the first uh, the first flat screen displays to have TV tuners built into them and HDMI ports. We were one of the first uh, early HDMI adopters back in uh, 2003, 2004, right around that time frame. So we've been doing HDMI for a very, very long time.
0: Sweet. Yeah. I did not know that. That's, that's very cool. And then yeah, one, of
1: the, one of the hidden secrets of that. And then we did, we also did uh, a lot of people don't know this about us either, but we were the, we, we were the people we even had the patents pending for it for uh, you know, those uh, real time image rotated video walls. Well, that was us. The, ditto, the famous ditto engine At least famous for us. <laughs> so I guess famous is relative. Uh, but uh, yeah, we did real time image rotation. Um, and uh, vertical video walls and multi-image rotation. And uh, we, we were the people who started that. Uh, a lot of people don't know that about our company. But yeah, that, that was our baby. And we got into AV over IP. And we're taking a very big stance, a very big different approach. We do hd base T as well. And we're actually reinventing that now as well. I wouldn't really say reinventing, but supercharging it. Not fair to say reinventing, but yeah, supercharging that as well.
0: Cool. Now, uh it seems like basically Aurora Multimedia is, is basically the complete package, unless I'm I'm looking at this incorrectly. But you seem like
1: the no, we, we we go across the gamut. We we have a firm belief that there's no one right product, but we also have another philosophy of less is more, where you don't need a lot of SKUs to get a job done. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of the differences between what, how we do things versus how other companies do things.
0: Can you give me, maybe, I mean, I'm assuming there's a lot of NDAs out there, but can you give me like a, a cool example of how your systems are deployed in the field or, or, uh, or where one is a unique application maybe?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I, what, what I can give an example is how, what makes us different and why we do the things we do to make it different. So, for example, we are uh, the uh, only transceiver on the market. So uh transceiver is the ability for a device to be set up as an encoder or a decoder. Okay. Pros and cons to anything. Adds a little bit more cost to it, but what it does do is it opens up new capabilities and it, it also solves problems. So for example, what does having a one box that you can set up as either or? Well, it's not just the box, it's the wall plates and the other things that complement it. So I can do things like put a wall plate in, in, in a front of a room, put a wall plate in the back of a room. Normally, wall plates are considered transmitters only, uh, so they're unidirectional, and uh, then usually have a box up by the display and so on. In our world, I could, tell, I could send a command to a wall plate that it's going to be a transmitter, send another command to another wall plate that it's going to be a receiver, hmm. and then have another room send its signal to the back wall plate, hook up a rollabout cart to it, watch uh, whatever the content is from the other room on the other wall plate while the front wall plate has my computer plugged into it, and I could send that to the front display as well as 10 other rooms if I want to. Uh, very unique applications, but it gives us the ability to extend things. I could even go from the front wall plate to the back wall plate, use it as an room extender without running wires across the floor. Or let's say, for example, I am trying to, to troubleshoot. I can take a wall plate, turn it into a decoder, put it up by a projector and see if that box is faulty. Uh, by process of elimination. Normally, you can't do that. Then there's other aspects. Normally, today's typology, you need about eight different SKUs to do a typical matrix. You need a proprietary card frame. You need an HDMI input card, an HDMI output card, an hd T input card, an hd T output card. Then you need the wall plate, the box version, the network switch. You get the idea. There's a lot of parts. Yeah. In our world, what's the worst you have? A network switch, a wall plate, and a box. Three SKUs, of which two of them share a commonality in their capabilities. And so that means for the first time, end users can keep spare parts on site. Even the networks switch. Okay, let's say one day you're using a Netgear. Well, okay, you don't have a Netgear available? Go use an Extreme Networks or a Cisco or a Luxol or a Package. As long as they have the base capability, they're all, they're all based on standards. And that's the cool thing about standards. So um, it opens up the possibility now to have spare parts on site Instead of the typical, uh, you know, where a tech goes out there, you hope he diagnoses it correctly because he has maybe not the part to prove it out, has to come back, tell the customer, "Oops, manufacturer doesn't have it for a few weeks." Customer gets upset, has to eventually come back out, and then uh, hope that he got it right. And if he didn't, then there's more of a wait. Customer gets more upset. Now, pull out of the customer's room, prove that that's the problem. Customer's up and running. We can ship it back to them if there was a problem with it, and everybody's up and running and only one trip made out to the customer, everybody's happy. So another problem example that it solves, uh, stock disproportion. Uh, normally, if you have encoders and decoders, let's say you have 100 encoders in stock and 100 decoders in stock. Somebody orders 20 TXs and you know, 40 RXs. Well, now your stock's disproportional. So depending on whatever the next order is, it's not going to align as opposed to having 200 units in stock, as an example, they could be anything you want at any time. So they're always viable in some form or fashion. So yeah, we, when we came up with that concept, we, we have patents pending on it actually. Uh, so we, we, hopefully we'll be eventually the only ones doing it, at least from our perspective. Uh, but it was good enough to make it, we thought it played a good role and an important role in its capabilities. In what- uh, so that's one, one example.
0: In what option do I am I getting that uh, functionality? Because what I'm hearing is it sounds like a a digital modular system, right? Like you said, it could basically be whatever you want as long as it's connected to the uh, the our infrastructure.
1: Yeah, as long as in the network, these boxes they can be set up to do video walls, image rotation, uh, matrixing, splitting, wh- whatever they need to do. Uh, we even took it a step further and we started merging different capabilities together. So now. We, can take, uh, we were the first people to ever take Dante and mix it with regular video streaming because we did not want to de-embed the audio into analog and then feed it back into, a, uh, into an audio system. We wanted everything to be IP-based. Yeah. So we, we demonstrated that it's not about that one standard is good. This is where we came up with IP-based T, which is our thing. And the whole point behind it was to show that it's not about having one standard at this moment in time. It's about having standards create the illusion of synergy. So you give them a common protocol, you give them a common way of setting it up, even though they're incompatible, they all have a purpose. So for example, you wouldn't use a 10 gig uncompressed to record with it or to send it onto the internet. But if you're doing broadcasting of it, you're doing low latency, uh, it's, it's a great thing to use. It's, it's probably the thing to use. With NH264. Well, that is perfect for recording or sending onto the internet. Not very good for local infrastructure, and the latency is not very good either. But then you got the 1 gig, the JPEG 2000, the VC2s. In other words, everything's got a place and everything's got a usage for it. It's not about I'm better than this and I'm better than that. It's about how do you make them all work together for what their intended purpose was, and then make it as easy for the end users. Uh, and the people installing it to consistently use these together, even though they're not really interoperable. And that's kind of what this whole thing that we've created IP-based T is about.
0: So in order to control those those IOs, do you guys produce a software that can be run on a laptop or something to to trigger these uh, your boxes, essentially?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. We have a uh, free software we give out that uh, does that, even preview routing, where we can see previews of what's playing in the encoders and decoders and route by that. Uh, we have all the tools to do edit emulation and other fun things that are coming out uh, that we can do. So tools are very important to make it easy. Our tools even show you how to make, put the code together that you have to put into your control systems. So we've designed these to be very third-party control-friendly. To the point where on certain systems, you don't even need macros. I know everybody says, oh, where's the macro? Sometimes we get a little confusing because like one of our products called the VLX series, which is our one gig solution. They'll say, do you have a macro for this control system? And we say, no, you don't need one. What do you mean? I gotta have a a, a macro. I'm like, no, you don't need a (laughs) macro. And here's why. Uh, And then even that, it it takes a little while to grasp how you're able to do something without the need of a macro. But we, we created virtual comports. So we become... An extension of any control system without having to create macros that encode and decode the string that you're sending to the 232 or the IR ports. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a cool feature. One of our uh, uh, dealers out there uh, came up with the idea and says, you know, you got to do this, Paul. And I was like, he explained to me why he wanted it. I was like, you know, that really is a good idea. I tell you what, I'm going to do it. So uh, give a shout out to my, my buddy Dave out there um i'll be i'll be neutral to the audience i won't say which which uh integrator it is but um <laughs> he had a he, he had a part so we do listen to our our integrators and dealers as much as i like to innovate and invent a lot of times it, some of the best ideas come from the field and uh they tell us what they what they're looking for and rather than us try to shove down their throat what we think is best we listen to it. We take our ideas, we take their ideas and we combine them during its inception. And we try to deliver as best as we can a full featured product that gives everybody what they want.
0: Which is great. Give me an example of, of something that, that you've done that has been a collaboration between obviously your company and your dealer base that's, that you've launched.
1: Uh well one of them I just gave you, which was the VLX and that particular feature doing virtual COM ports. So that was one. Uh, we made a wall plate, uh, an HD-based T wall plate years ago from one of the consultants. They asked us to make a display port onto an HD-based T wall plate. Hmm. Uh and four months later we had one. That's awesome. So uh so they said they needed it. We we made it. That's one of the nice things about, about uh my company is we're very nimble. Even though we, we've grown in size and we're worldwide. We, we make all our products in our building, So we have our own assembly lines on pick and place machines, we design all our own products. So we're able to adapt very quickly to just about anything. Uh, so if we see something or if a competitor does something to react to something that we did, we can quickly, you know, whereas normally our, a lot of our competitors need to get at least a good two year or better life cycle before they can reinvent whatever they've done, I can reinvent it in a matter of a quarter if I needed to. So I, within three, four months I can re up my game if I need to and push it back out there again and not, not necessarily driving everybody nuts saying, oh my God, another product and what happened to the old one. It's more of making it better. So I'll give you a perfect uh, example. Um, that VlX box that I was telling you about that yeah. kind of the one gig that does everything. It does the the video walls. It does the image rotation. It does the, the, the full one gig. Um, People wanted a second land port on it, so uh, coming out Q1, figured out a way to just sh- move things around a little bit on the box, and we're going to add and we've we've already done it. It's going to get an additional SFP port on it, which gives us now the ability to do fiber and copper, or with a one with a ten one hundred or one gig SFP module, we can add a second land port into the same box, and we're not even raising the price. It's just the box for the most part does a hundred percent of thing it currently does. So if as big there are things like that we're not disrupting what they're already doing they're just going to now get a product that's going to offer more for the same price in this particular example um, without compromising anything that they've already committed to so if we do make a change we make certain that we try not to, to uh impede anything that's been done in the past we try to just add to it not really take away from it where it might jeopardize something that they were already doing so which is a good thing it's something that's very uncommon usually people have to see a cycle before, but our typical lifespan of a product, we try to strive for at least five years or better. That's so a good we amount of time for a, product. We have to design a lot of time. Excuse me?
0: So that, that's a great amount of time for any product. I mean, not, not to say that some things couldn't go more, but I mean, just to, to shoot for five years on any product is good because as the old days before AV over IP ever existed. Yeah, that wasn't something that you'd see, you know, you'd get a couple of years that before it died and the new generation would already be here.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that, that image rotation product, I had that for 15 years. Um, one of our tuners we had for over nine years straight. And actually, I would have kept selling it. it. was an amazing product for its time. And 15 years ago, we were doing 1080p, 165 megahertz bandwidth. And the only reason why I discontinued it was I couldn't get parts anymore. It's 15 years old, I mm-hmm. just there was three parts that were impossible to get a hold of. And finally, I had to just call it a day. But I'm, I'm redesigning a new generation of it. So there'll be a new generation of the ditto coming uh, back uh, later next year, which will be the next, you know, we're going to up its game.
0: Cool. Very cool. Um, so here we are, right? AV over IP. That seems to be the uh, AV on the network, AV over the network, AV over IP. And you were saying, uh, what did you say? You call, what, what was your judgment? Generation you called it uh, IP over IP or AV
1: AV uh, over IP, which is IP based T.
0: IP based T, that's the one. I'm sorry, IP based T. What mm-hmm. you were saying. What What's next? What What did you say is next for your company? It sounds like you you where you're at now is very versatile for what you can do out of a single box, and then within a room or deployed in a system that you can just change the trick uh, over the network. You know, because of your uh, it's in, it's on the network and it's AV over IP on the network you can change those uh, send and receive uh, wall plates to, to to be whatever, basically, extending, w- whatever it needs to be. Something that I would never... Paul? Yeah, you yeah. there? Yeah, sorry. Hey, everyone had a little issue there with the internet. I don't know how much you heard, but what I was asking is, you know, with AV over IP and where we are today, something I never thought we would be at, the fact that you can basically change an entire system from your software uh, because it's on the network is just astounding. What do you think is next for your company? Where, where do you go from here?
1: Well, we've one of the things that, that we've done, which is very important, is uh, we, we try not to take sides with the standards that are out there. That's not our job as a manufacturer. Our job is to take the standards that people are presenting and to make the best possible product we can from our point of view with that technology. So, for example, um, a lot of people don't know this about us, but, you know, we could have been the founding members of SDVOE. We chose not to, not because it's not a great standard or have great capabilities, but if we do things like that, we actually become, we can't be neutral, and we can't be objective to look at other technologies. So you got to be careful sometimes when you, when you commit yourself towards one standard or one format. So recently, we became a contributing member for HD based T after all these years of being just an adopter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that way, we can have more of an input. So you're going to see Aurora this this year. One of the main goals of this year was to come out of the shadows a little bit more. Was we did a lot of things in the background that people may not realize. We're now becoming more in the foreground, and now you're going to see more of uh, myself and other people from my company uh, bringing to light and taking more of a lead role in the industry and putting more of our beliefs out there. Uh, and helping to to mold where the future is, we believe it's that time now to show people there is a better way to do things, that there is a light. So, for example, with our HD-based T, uh, we were lucky on uh, HD-based IP. Uh It was an amazing project. Uh, it was a proof of concept that we did to show that we can put HD-based T over IP. Uh, what we developed for Infocom, world's first and only 10K64 game with compression, going full bidirectional over a single port. Um, no one's ever done that. Right now, everybody's a, everybody's a port, whether it's an encoder or a decoder. Uh, we were doing both directions simultaneously on a single port. Um, Pretty amazing stuff. Uh, We pulled that project off in four months with a team of engineers. Uh, So uh, we're looking at uh, doing things like that where we're trying to now impact where the industry is going and what standards are going to become. One of the things I think people get hung up on with AV over IP right now is, and I don't think everybody fully appreciates what really, really does matter right now with AV over IP, which is the infrastructure. That really dictates everything. Endpoints come and go. Everybody talks about interoperability, and don't get me wrong, I like interoperability, but even that has its shortcomings with interoperability. But let's just say, for example, you have uh, a a network. Okay, if you throw a one gig network in there, you really don't want to do 4K 6444 on a one gig network. I I know there's companies out there touting it. Uh, It's a 20 to one compression spreadsheets, high detailed items, they're not going to look good on it. There really is no future for that type level of uh, bandwidth to be over a one gig with the amount of compression that it's going to do. That is not visually lossless. So some of the things we're working on right now is, one, enforcing and coming up with better standards for what people call visually lossless. I know marketing always seems to overshadow the reality of things. So one of the things that I'm working towards is trying to get that where we all follow, if we call something a grade of something, what does it really mean? And so this way, you know what you're getting. Uh, There's nothing with having a 20 to one compression using it for fast motion video. And you're, But if you're doing it for using computers, detailed information, real time, you really got to go into 10 gig. And then if you look at 8K, well, 10 gig can do it. It it will be uh, more compression to it. But people don't realize when you go to 8K, you're going to probably want to go to 120 hertz once you start getting to 8K, um, which is not just double the bandwidth, it's going to be quadruple the bandwidth. So even 40 gig starts to look like, mm, maybe for some applications, I might not even need 40 gig. So you got to start looking at what your infrastructure is going to be uh, right now when you're, when you're doing a lot of things with AV over IP. Endpoints come and go, but the network itself can stay a good key core of what you put into it. So you don't have to reinvest and re, uh, redo the actual infrastructure itself.
0: Yes, I, I I agree with you. The network is the foundation for any any system deployed because everything nowadays, and if it's not, you're in the past and need to be living on the network. The network will always be the foundation for anything that we do in our industry moving forward.
1: Exactly, and so it and so what basically what we're going in with with this as far as with what we're doing is we're more or less trying to. Just teach people that that where it really counts is the protocols, the things like that. For example, I I know a lot of people out there talking interoperability and, oh, I got to have H-264, I got to have JPEG-2000. What does that really mean at the end of the day? Is it really compatible? I mean, there are other elements of it that people don't really understand fully. And that's one of the things that our job is, is to educate people. We recently hired a a gentleman, um, that you're, you're familiar with George Tucker. Uh, his only job in life in our company is to educate and to create education classes because education right now, as we all make this transition, is key. Uh, making people understand what it is that they're installing and what you need to do to make it happen effectively. Because right now, a lot of the uh, AV integrators, they're trying to learn, but it does take some time to get a little bit up to speed. It's not that AV over IP is complicated, but when you've never worked with anything before, you got you got to just, you know, Retransition yourself just like anything else. Just like when control systems first came into our industry, people didn't know what to do with it. Hardly anybody had programmers in their companies. And now almost every integrator has a programmer or a third party person that they go to and write the code uh, for them. So AV over IP is no different. It's just another element into the industry. I know there's arguments who's going to win the uh, IT integrator, the AV integrator. You'll, you'll get into all those arguments. And from our, my perspective, they're both going to win. They're both going to stay status quo. You can't take an IT integrator and necessarily turn them in overnight to put equipment into conference rooms, hang projectors, audio balance out a room, and do the things that AV integrators are trained for, known for, and primarily do. But then for that matter, doing network switches, uh, sometimes you've got to be Cisco certified, and you've got to do all these types of things that normally these network people... I think what you're going to see is a is they're gonna keep doing what they do best, but I think you're gonna see more of a collaboration between the two and yeah. using their strength. Or an absorption of IT companies by AV companies or vice versa, where they have to call upon each other's talents to, to better coexist with each other. But they still have their own purpose of what they are in this industry. I don't think one's gonna win over the other. But what, what I think a lot of people do fail to realize, and this circles back to what I started talking about before, is a lot of people don't realize you can have H.264. It doesn't mean you're following the standard. For for example, let's say you have encrypted content. Well, where's the standard for that? For over IP, there is no standard. So right off the bat, if you need to encrypt something on H.264, you will not work on the web. You will not work with any just plain old recording device. You're not going to work with most people's other equipment, uh, let alone for JPEG 2000 or anything else. And that's because there is no standard for it that is dictated or demanded over the IP. That's one thing that does need to be solved. And right now that does not exist. Uh, people don't realize that when you get the people who claim low latency of HT64, once again, they're not using an MPEG-2 transport, they're using a proprietary transport that can happen to deliver it at a much faster rate so you don't have the latency that an MPEG-2 transport is inherent to have. So there's a lot of incompatibility out there. So what I tell people is worry about the infrastructure first, settle on what the equipment you want to be that you like for the features, the price points, its capabilities, because they can come and go off the infrastructure. You know, you're going to be looking at upgrading equipment years from then anyway. But when you start intermixing a lot of different brands together, you end up with certain problems that are can be quite difficult to solve. And that's something that, is it's one of the biggest pain in the next in the industry and it's not just limited to AV over IP. It's HDMI, it's, it's HD based T, And it's been one of the source spots for a very long time uh, in this industry.
0: Yeah. And and like you said, well, I, I, I like one about your company that you aren't necessarily partnering with one technology, but rather trying to adopt and work with all technologies because that's, it, it seems silly for a manufacturer to to kind of make their own proprietary um, communication or I don't know how else to, to word it, but like their own proprietary anything, right, that doesn't work with their own stuff, right? It's proprietary. Why would you want to lock yourself in and be this sort of exclusive thing and then hope that everyone just adopts your your technology? Why not rather work with everyone else out there because it's this time where everyone has sort of this – this own this own uh, different ways of communication Every, everyone's trying to figure out either their own their own technology or the standards and like you said the standards on everything isn't quite there yet but need to happen soon because eventually you're going to get stuck with your own proprietary stuff that isn't a standard
1: well exactly and what has to happen is in this industry is you've got to look at the things that really do matter to standardize on. The encryption over the IP, um, delivery would be nice, but I'll give you a perfect example. Let's take something as simple as HDMI and HD-based T. Let's forget about AV over IP for a second. When a typical dealer goes into the field, they might have two different brands. is called brand A has HD-based T and brand B has HD-based T. and You plug them in together and they don't work. For whatever reason, they just don't want to play nice together. Don't know why, but they don't. But you could take 100 other products, and it will work with brand A. Take 100 other products, and they'll work with brand B. But for whatever reason, brand A and brand B do not want to work together. Whose fault is it? And what does the integrator do to get that resolved? And the answer is very surprising, and it's more related to human nature, than it is to fairness and how things should be done. And that's a huge fundamental problem that there's no easy way of solving Because I I personally have been in the middle of these things and even when you're right and you can prove it, right plays no part in a lot of the things that happen in our industry. So you know who usually gets blamed for the problem? Take a wild guess. I don't know. The company that answers the phone. (laughs) Whoever actually helps out the customer actually is the one who gets blamed, even if they're not the one at fault. Um, So what will happen is you'll call up, let's say the other company doesn't answer, but let's say it's a display and they don't answer because they're hard to get a hold of. They're a big company, whatever. Smaller company or a different company says, okay, we've looked at the problem. We've determined that it is coming from the display. Then they say, well, how come the other 100 companies work with it? And then you could say, well, because they're actually doing some things that are a little bit wrong, and by dumb luck, it just happens to work, but they're really doing it the wrong way, and we're actually doing it the right way, and there's reasons why we do it this way, because it protects you from other bad things from happening, and they don't want to hear that. They just want to focus on the fact that it works with 100 of the other companies that might be doing it not quite the right way, Right. obviously... It must be us. And then you can show them the proof. You can show them till you're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, do they want to take the display down or do they want to take the source thing? So they'll be more likely to get rid of the company that just helped them out, spent all the time discovering the problems. But they're, the ones, they're, they're going to be the one who will take the brunt of it uh, because simply they answered the phone and they were able to start helping out the customer uh, and they won't look at it from the other perspective. And I, I've been in those situations where you say, okay, well, we work with a 100 other products. I don't see you fighting with us. Yeah, yeah but uh, uh, but we need that dis- that display there or whatever it is. So it's really the logic is very backwards. It's not about right and wrong. It's a matter of, of what can be justified. And that does not help the industry. Um, I, I've, I've had situations like that even with HDMI and EDIDS where we could show that the EDIDS were malformed and, uh, they'd be like, "Yep," but other products work with a malformed EEDID, and it's like because they're not checking the checksum. They should be doing that because if you don't, you can potentially get corrupt data. Didn't matter. So we wrote firmware that ignored the checksum for that customer, and what a surprise! It started working with that device. But these are the oddities that you got to work with in the field. That's why I'm not a big fan of interoperability. I'm a big fan of of standards. Yeah. And as much compatibility as you can. But when it comes to interoperability, you really just want to, if you can, from the endpoint to endpoint, the more you can make it the same brand, the more the liability falls on that company to make the problem go away. Because then it's in more of control of that particular brand. Got it. You know what you'd mentioned
0: earlier that I, I think I kind of just went right past me when you said it, is that you make products here in the United States.
1: That is correct. We make it right in our own building
0: that is very rare and far between so one thank you two um again that's it's not a very small thing i think there are fewer and fewer manufacturers these days here in the united states one because it's obviously it's cheaper to outsource to other countries um two because sometimes larger companies or corporations buy those companies and then they go back outside the country but uh, the fact that you manufacture within the United States is just amazing. What, what's the typical turnaround time for some of your products? Is it anything made to order at your company or is it pretty standard off the shelf?
1: Oh, for the most part, it's off the shelf. Sometimes, I mean, don't get me wrong, we, we do OEM for some other companies. Whenever okay. we do OEM, we make certain it doesn't compete with our own pipeline. Yeah. Because uh, we pre- we, we're very big into protecting our dealers. We don't like when people sell online. This goes into my preach. So you're going to get me on my rant. One of the things I can't stand about this industry, Chris, we're we're our own worst enemy is this industry. And I'm trying to do my part to fix it, but it really takes everybody if you're ever going to fix it. But trying to get that to happen is very difficult. So here's the problem with the industry right now. Back in the day, so I'm going to do the back in the day again. Life Mm -hmm. was simple. You knew commercial grade because you had a BNC connector half twist. And that right there, I'm a professional-grade piece of equipment. And life was simple. There were no EDIs. There was no encryption. Uh, the way you distinguished professional grade was by how long the heads of a VCR lasted, the quality of the video because it used better analog circuitry to keep the noise down. But you had a delineation between commercial and consumer. And when HDMI came along, that delineation was removed. And instead of the commercial industry keeping with its own pace it allowed the consumer industry to roll itself in. So as a result, what ended up happening was HDMI became not just consumer, it became commercial as well. Broadcast, while they went digital, they did stay with BNC uh, and kept to their own thing. And so there was a definitive delineation of broadcast goods versus commercial and consumer goods. So when that happened, one of the other bad things that happened was the overseas companies. I won't pick on any particular country, but let's just say the, 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 the very cost-effective to produce countries. And what ended up happening was they started producing commercial-grade products because they were, it was the same technology for consumer and they could understand the crossover that was now happening, whereas they were being mostly used in consumer. So what that ended up doing was it turned a lot of integrators into installers. And because now you had products that were coming onto the market at a reduced price point that you could even buy online. So there's companies out there. They know who they are. They'll sell to everybody and everyone. And there's no protection for the dealers. As a commercial, as a commercial manufacturer, you should be protecting the dealer, period. You should not be selling to everybody and anybody online. That's not fair to a company that wants to be an integrator and wants to sell the product as an authorized dealer. There's no way to justify, Oh no, don't worry about it. Even though it's sold to this company or that company, I'm not going to name companies online. Not fair to do that. But, um, and you find them all over the place and the customer sees these low pricings online and then goes back to the integrator and says, Oh, well, I see this five points, uh, basically above cost. And then they're like, Oh, And then next thing you know, the end user is buying this low-cost product, telling the integrator to come in and install it. And they don't even get the sale anymore that they used to get when they used to be able to sell the whole package and be liable for it, which creates a whole other problem for integrators, which is where the liability is during the install. Because when they install the equipment that the customer supplied, they don't want to be liable for when a problem occurs, but then the customer still expects them to do something about it. Uh, And then you get into that whole spec. My goal as a manufacturer is to bring that power back to the dealer, and it is for the benefit of the end user. This isn't just because I'm trying to make it more expensive for an end user. If anything, I'm trying to keep the cost down with the way we do our products, but I'm also trying to protect everybody. So how does does us raising our prices protect the end users? Well, while they, yes, they look to save money, how much does it cost the end user when the integrator can't properly support the installation because half the equipment is theirs and half of it isn't. And you get into this whole spat of who is going to fix that particular product when it does go bad, because now it is on them and the integrator doesn't want to really touch it because they're not warrantying it. It's not their product and you bypass them. So if you look at the serviceability element of it, they're really undermining the service quality that they expect when they actually do the install. The other problem too is they think that all products are built the same, and they're not. There are, there are still commercial-grade products out there based on the way they're built versus this whatever company of wherever, God forbid, it's coming from, from overseas, you really don't know what you're getting, which brings up a whole nother problem, which is there's over the past few years, and these companies know who they are, and a lot of people out there kind of know who they are love to give a list, but once again, not going to do that on your show. I should just publish a list of who these companies are one day, where they're (laughs) not real manufacturers. They call themselves manufacturers. And what they do is they find certain key companies overseas that make product and they put their silk screen of their name brand. These guys are working out of their house or just have a warehouse where all they do is they find companies that they buy from overseas, they slap their silk screen on it and There's probably 20 other products in the market with the same exact box, just different silkscreens and different colors, but it's the same exact thing. And God forbid a dealer goes out and bids that product, somebody else might bid not only the same product, might bid a different name product that's 100% identical for maybe half the price based on how they structured their price points. Now, I'm not saying it's bad for a manufacturer to OEM or ODM. Uh, That's normal. Companies have done it, Sony's done it. You name any large company, even us, we've done it for the fill in the blanks and the massaging things. But when you do it, it's gotta have the appearance that it's different. It's gotta have something different done to it to delineate itself from the other products that are out there. So if they're gonna do it, they gotta make it different. They gotta make it better. They they can't just have them all look the same and dump it onto the market. And then that goes back into, once again, everybody's selling things online. In our industry, MSRP only, or call in for pricing. You should not be showing pricing. We have that problem right now. When we find out about it, we call up these, we call up the online people and say, follow our minimized advertised pricing details. Don't do that. You warn them, they violate it, you get rid of them. We just recently did that. We, I, can't, I won't say who they were, but we just recently uh, cut somebody off because they were violating it. And we were very unhappy about that because we get dealers calling up saying, hey, how come you got this one of your products online. Uh, that's not cool. I'm like, we're gonna deal with it right now. And we did.
0: So that being said, are you are you a direct to dealer manufacturer or is there no distribution of your products?
1: The only distribution we do is internationally because internationally is a different animal. But yeah. when we do it internationally, we do exclusive distributor, meaning there'll be one distributor in that country uh-huh. and they have to be a local stocking distributor. They're just not any distributor. They have to be a stocking distributor And they must have support locally as well. So they must have at least, uh, depending on the size of the country, a minimum of one or more technical people that can properly support uh, the product. We have that. Actually, I got a great team uh, in uh, in India, Norway, Korea, uh, China. I mean, we have some countries that got amazing uh, and have done amazing work. If you go online to our stuff, uh, you'll see some of the great work they've done. My Indian guys impress me all the time. Those guys are always rock and roll. My Norway guys too. They, they, they're. I mean, for the most part, all my distributors do great work. But uh, you know, sometimes you get some people really shine. And uh, uh, but yeah, even when you do distribution, you just gotta have it done the right way. And as long as uh, you have the proper support and understanding and know how from that distributor. Uh, yeah, they could do an excellent job for a company. But in the United States, no, it's it's dealer direct. We never sell to an end user. That's a whole other thing that manufacturers. That I know some of the larger manufacturers think they're entitled to. They worm their way around and they go right to the end user and cut out the dealer. No, I don't care how large the project is. You must include the appropriate dealer. No favorites played. Go to the one who's appropriate for the region and you do it with one who you feel has the best competence to deliver that particular job, uh, and you always go through an integrator, period. No manufacturer should ever be going around uh, an integrator if you're going to set up a true integration network. And for that matter, you got to follow the food chain, where the project came from. If a consultant specs you, you don't go around the consultant. If a dealer specs you, you don't go around the dealer. So that's another problem is people don't follow the food chain. You got to play by the rules of the game. You can't just conveniently break the rules when it serves your purpose. And actually, in my company, if you do, you you get you get a major slap on the hand for it. Uh, if they if they do, and in some cases, can be fired. So we take it very seriously that if people if we find out that people are intentionally violating rules, we will fire them for it.
0: That's good to know. Yeah, I don't like shortcuts either. And and with the same respects to you know following the food chain, I I 100% agree with you because that often happens to where someone's getting cut out of the deal because someone else wanted to gain from their from their uh, the hard work.
1: Uh, it, so- it sounds tempting, but we do registration programs. We treat our dealers right. We let them register projects uh, if they can. We have some new models coming out with uh, other ways of helping them make more money and keeping the inventory down so you'll actually see as our as we continue to progress, our catalog is going to shrink, not grow. We don't want this huge catalog with over 500 different products. We want as few products as possible that can do everything. So this way, you need a video processor, this product, oh, you need a distribution, same product, you need a rotation engine, same product, you need a scaling engine, same product. <laughs> um, I, that gets so much easier to train your, your uh, technicians and your engineers. And even when when you're doing the drawings, you don't have to constantly think of something new to put out there. So we have, like I said, less is more mentality. That's where we're headed. Uh, One one thing I do got to throw out there is what we've done with HD-based tea, by the way. We supercharged HD-based tea. So I'm proud to say we're going to be releasing a product in Q1 that actually does – uh, full 18 gig bandwidth with unshielded cable. I know that's been a big gripe for people with HD base T is uh, shielded cable. We have a product coming out that can go 330 feet at the full 4K 60 bandwidth um, with unshielded cable, and we threw Dante into it as well, amongst some other clever things that we've done as well, where I can use uh, PoE and power both sides with no wall supplies. Don't count HDBase-T out yet. HDBase-T has proven itself from point to point to be the lower cost alternative to AV over IP. AV over IP becomes more cost effective when you're doing distributed systems.
0: Hmm, that's coming Q1 of next year is what you're saying?
1: Yeah, it's uh, probably about February timeframe and then I got a scalar version of it coming out around Infocom timeframe as well. It's up on our website, it's called the HT series. Uh, but yeah, we threw in Dante, not even just Dante, it's going to have an eight-channel Dante surround sound option, which is another world's first. Uh, like I said, PoE, no one's ever done that before. We even integrated in an IP to port conversion. So normally when people use HD-based T, they always have to tie up a port on the control system to pass the 232 from the transmitter to receiver or the IR. Instead, we put we gave each box the ability to have an IP address, and then you can tell the control system to use Uh, the boxes as port expanders rather than pass-throughs. So this way, you end up with two serial ports and two AR ports rather than a pass-through and tying up ports on a control system. So you can use a smaller control system and a cleaner way of connection. So now we've eliminated, if you think about it, we've eliminated the power supplies and with a LAN connection connected up to it, we've actually eliminated the need for any connections for the 232 ports within the rack itself because the control system is going to target us through TCP or, or Telnet to communicate to the other side. So we've actually, this is what I talk about where we solve problems. We don't just do what everybody else does. We look at, and this is what commercial is all about. What are you going to do to solve a problem to make a better solution? And that's what we do.
0: Better products to solve your solutions today. Aurora Multimedia. Now, I that like being- <laughs> now being said, uh, you you have a look what looks to be a solution basically for anything that I can think of, right? So from amplifiers, speakers, AV over IP, cables, adapters, accessories, control software, control systems, converters, scalers, extenders, wall plates, matrices, uh one room cable kits, splitters, switchers, tuners, user interfaces, video wall processors, and more. Basically. Anything that you can think of, you have a solution for. That is made here in the United States of America, not a short feat. And as technology changes, so I believe that Aurora Multimedia will adapt to it. And for people who would like to learn more or become a dealer, what is the best place that they can reach out, Paul?
1: uh A U R O R A M M a-u-r-o-r-a-m-m.com as in aurora multimedia and uh all the information you can find will be up there we actually have a new website that's going to be going live in a few months uh to uh make it uh more powerful even more information uh we got some more surprises anybody going out over to amsterdam we got some uh new surprises to show off there. And of course at Infocom, when we're never making it easy, we're never letting up. So we got a lot of good surprises on the way uh, and we'll be keeping it interesting for uh, quite a few years to come. We we got a lot of toys that uh, that'll be coming out that will definitely, uh, you know, make it interesting.
0: Well, cool. And as they come out, I would love to have you back and on the show and talk about basically the future of, of where our industry is going and how you're offering solutions uh, to the for seed future and, and technology. So I'd love to have you back at, as that changes. And anyone out there who has any questions for me or wants to be on the show, AV Insider, you want to learn more about Aurora Multimedia, whatever it is, you can email me personally at Johnny, J O H N N Y, at ravepubs.com. Johnny at ravepubs. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, all the places at Jmodo3 except for Snapchat. That is some imposter. Do not follow that person imposter i'm at av underscore insider and actually if you want to be a social person and, and check out aurora online you can go to aurora mm.com which was previously said by paul they are on linkedin you can check them out there linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash aurora dash multimedia they're also on twitter at aurora mm corp and they have a facebook page you probably check out if you want to get some updates there to check out all the things that we didn't already mention aurora mm.com Facebook.com forward slash Aurora MM Corp. All the places you can connect with them in a social manner to learn more. Obviously check out the website first. It's going to be Aurora MM.com and, uh, with a new refresh coming soon. And if you have a chance and you are going to Amsterdam or as I like to call it Amsterdam, check them out there that I think that is the next ah. that they'll be at. And then you can find them at info.com as well. And again, go to the website, auroramm.com. Check out this wonderful made in America manufacturer for any solution that you have in your integration needs. Everyone, this has been AV Insider. Paul, thank you for the, uh, your time today. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. And everyone, again, this has been AV Insider. We'll catch you on the next show. Uh, have a good day.